live from the internet cloud. It's astronomy, actual astronomy. <laughs> astronomy, actually, something. Actually, like it's astronomy, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. And this is episode 44 Objects to Observe in the September Sky, or what is Chris making Shane observe this month? Yes, yes, yes. Do you have any key objects you're excited for? Mars. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, and I'm pretty excited. We have uh, lots of followers. We have 50 followers now, and we passed over 4,000 downloads last night sometime. Yeah, that's crazy. This thing is getting you know, more attention than I ever thought it would, to be honest. I thought you and I would just end up talking about astronomy, recording it, putting it on the internet, and you know, maybe just a couple family friends would listen to it. But yeah, we do have family and friends listening. Yeah. And, and you know, we, I think that's, that's really fun. Um, you know, I, I did hear from, from one of my five or six nieces, uh, and she's listening to it. So, so that's really fun. And, uh, and yeah, a friend of mine, uh, she's become a follower, but she said, I haven't listened to it yet. So that's cool too. And yeah, so this month, for September, yeah, Mars is really getting towards its uh, its opposition. It's going to be at opposition on October the 12th. But uh, I've got a few other things. Um, so usually, uh, as we as we get into fall, you know, being being from the uh, the coast, um, we're looking for the large tides, and the largest tides are going to start just after new moon on September 17th. Um, so. You know, I'll be curious to hear. My parents always give me the tide report when I when I give them a call. And then uh, Mercury is going to be at its best evening apparition. But for the southern hemisphere, it's it's pretty tough uh, to get. It's you know usually very horizon hugging. Um, but I don't know. I didn't look at the planetarium software. It might be easier. And Venus uh, remains very high and well placed in the in the morning twilight. Um, it's, uh, you know, going to be about four degrees from the moon on the 14th of September. So that's going to be pretty cool. So that's going to be in the morning sky, you know, probably around like, uh, you know, four or 5 a.m. You can see the moon passing by uh, Venus. And uh, towards the end of the month, uh, Venus is going to be right Regulus, which is in Leo. Um, it's going to be a pretty close conjunction there in early October. And then Mars, this is like, pretty much one of the best oppositions um, that we're going to see for a long time. And it's, it's well underway. And uh, you know, it's just super bright, just looks like a big bright orange ball in the sky now. And then through even the 60 millimeter, you can see the continents and the polar caps. And I think the odd time I've seen like a dust cloud and yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. And on the uh, evening of the fifth and sixth um, in South America, the, uh, the moon is going to, uh, pass in front of Mars. So that would be pretty oh, cool. Yeah. And let's see, what else? Jupiter and Mars and Saturn, they're all going to be stationary at some point uh, this month. And of course, the moon is going to pair up with uh, Jupiter and Saturn. And Uranus is now rising before midnight. Um, and it's going to be at opposition, uh, basically viewable all night long on October 31st, um, which is next month. But you know, that's, that's what it's heading towards. And Neptune actually reaches opposition this month on the 11th. So what are you looking forward to, Shane? What well, is definitely, your... definitely looking for Mars. Um, it's, 
you know, right now for me anyway, um, where when it's at its best spot in the sky, I'm in bed right now. So I'm looking forward to um, being able to see it a little bit earlier in the evening. Um, and then that will be my primary focus uh, for the next couple of months will be just to observe it as much as I can. Yeah. Because like you mentioned, this will be the best, uh, best year to observe it for quite a while. And, you know, I think we've mentioned it a number of times before, but every two years, Mars gets closer to Earth. Uh, this happens to be that every second year where it's, you know, doing its close approach. And, and this approach happens to be closer than uh, a number of the upcoming ones. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely the time to observe. Um, there's no dust storms happening yet. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that that stays the same because sometimes yep. they do kick up on Mars, which means we can't see much surface detail. Yep. But wow, you know, I've been seeing some photographs uh, that some folks have been taking like Damien Peach. He's a yep. well-known or well-known astrophotographer. Um, if you haven't seen him yet, just check him out on Twitter because he is sending out planetary photos pretty regularly and he does a great job with them. Um, another guy we've talked about is, uh, Christopher Go. although I'm not sure he looks at, or I don't know if he acquires many Mars photos. He's not doing Mars right now. I was, I was looking at his site now. I mean, he could have started, but, yeah. um, as of uh, two or three weeks ago, he wasn't uh, shooting Mars at this time. I mean, it's tough too. like, yeah. even though I'm not, uh, doing astro imaging, I'm just sketching. Like I find two planets is about all I can juggle. So I'm doing, uh, Mars and Venus, uh, right now because, good uh mars and venus oppositions are actually quite rare and we're we're going through two of the best that that you can get um right now uh whereas uh saturn and jupiter are low in the south they're actually not having really good oppositions this year they'll, they'll start to get better uh next year and the year after for sure um so the idea of staying up late observing uh jupiter and saturn and then trying to turn around and do venus and uh, and mars in the morning skies is a little bit too much uh, for me, if I was, if I wasn't working, I would like, that would be no problem. But, you know, like I said, uh, and even teaching classes on top and, and doing a course and doing some other stuff, like there's only, there's only so much time in the day, even when you're staying up half the night, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Um, you know, another thing I'm, I'm excited for, but I don't know if it will happen is, um, for new moon in September, I'm really hoping to get down to our favorite place to observe, which is Grasslands National Park. Yeah. Uh, there should be far less traffic there. Um, so, you know, the, the COVID risk hopefully will be reduced as a result. Yeah. But what I'd like to do in the fall, like September timeframe, is it's definitely, you know, it's cooling off, but it's still so much warmer than it's going to be in December timeframe. And it's really nice to get to a dark site and stay up late because you start to see some of the winter constellations coming yeah. up. You know, like yeah. Orion, uh, Taurus, like you really get to observe some of these uh, constellations and objects within them without having to, you know, endure while well, where we live, you know, negative 20 degrees Celsius temperatures would be probably a warm night in July. <laughs> or um, January, whatever. Uh, or, first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or July. Yeah, yeah. Gee, um, thanks. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a little confused. Um, but yeah, the, to be able to do it in September when it's you know, not too bad outside is, is a real treat. So uh, I'm hoping to get some of that done as well. Yeah, I took a day off work to, uh, to sort of pad a, an extra day in there so that maybe we, we can get down and do it would be, would be awesome. 
September 2nd, we have full moon though. So not much to see there. <laughs> well, let's talk about that though, right? That'll be the harvest moon. And is it? I think it is, isn't it? I, I don't know. Well, I believe it is. And because I think that it typically rises at about like 9 p.m. or something like that or, or 8 p.m. somewhere around there. And one of the common things that I hear, what, you know, if I'm at work or, or, or with family. Uh, it's is, October 1st. That's the, because it's the one, I'm just looking this up online. It's the one closest to the autumnal equinox. Okay. Okay. Which is the 23rd. So, yeah. okay. Well, the next two full moons, so definitely <laughs> September and then the harvest moon, the October moon, um, they rise kind of at a, at a time where people can witness the rise, you know, because most people are up at that point. And I, you know, I often hear that it's such a, a big moon and it's much larger in the fall than any other time of the year. And, uh, I think it's really just because there's more, because it's so close to the horizon, you can contrast it or compare it to, you know, various objects, you know, like a grain elevator or a building or something like that. Um, whereas when it's, you know, right overhead, you really have no perception of how big, you know, the disc of the moon is. So uh, it's always interesting to me that, uh, that some people, you know, believe the moon is so much larger at this time of the year. Or that Mars will be as large as the full moon. And you can actually make a great comparison on September 6th when Mars is going to be 0.03 degrees south of the moon. And it's actually an occultation for like, uh, cool. I think it's uh, South America, Cape Verde and North Africa and Southern Europe, uh, perhaps. Um, so we won't get it here, but it's going to get awful close. <laughs> like really really close to to the moon so that's going to be neat uh we i haven't seen this in a while but it used to be every or or, or every year or so there would be the email that would go around that would mm -hmm. say mars will be as large as the full moon yep um and where that came do you know you've seen that as well yeah that started i think with the 2003 opposition yeah because we had that very and what happened was somebody somebody misquoted an astronomer and they had said that um you know it's still difficult to see that much on mars because even through a telescope mars will only appear as the full moon does to the unaided eye and oh. so that it got twisted around to say somebody either by accident or what and then, of course, the internet trolls got, got a hold of this, just loved it, and just continually put it out every year, uh, though, though it seems to have calmed down in, in recent years. But uh, yes, through the telescope, it will appear as large, uh, perhaps, as the, uh, or you can see the details on, on the surface of Mars, about as well as you can see the features on, on the moon. Uh, That's a great comparison. Yeah, so it it's tough. I don't know how how good a comparison that is because, I mean, like recently I've been looking at the polar cap shrinking on uh, on Mars, and I mean, there's no polar cap on the Moon. That'd be cool, or not that we can really see anyway. There might be some some you know ices in in a deep crater somewhere, um, but you can see quite a bit. You can also see the rotation of Mars. Uh, so these are things you just can't see on the Moon. No matter what you have to look through. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, definitely some different features there. Um, yeah. Uh, but what what is kind of interesting about that comparison is Mars, similar to our moon, has some dark regions on its surface um, mm-hmm. that, you know, that that's what we're really looking for as astronomers is the, you know, those darker zones versus the lighter zones. Um, and then the polar caps, of course, are uh, fairly distinct and unique when it comes to looking at Mars. But like Sirtis Major really reminds me of some of the mares of the moon, um, you know, those dark regions. Yeah, it does. I, yeah, 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 it does for sure. Um, the north polar cap, though, is, is tough right now because it's uh, around northern winter, so it's tilted away. The south polar cap, though, sits way out in the desert. Um, just depending on which night uh, you're looking at. And uh, I noticed that uh, yesterday morning it was, it was close to the limb, but uh, earlier in the week, it was, it was way out or maybe a week ago, it was way out in the, in the desert just cause it sort of, I think it sort of sits a little bit off the pole anyway. Um, remarkable. It's just amazing to, to be watching that. So over the past couple months, as I've been watching, you can actually detect that the, the South polar cap is, is shrinking quite a bit. Well, that's pretty cool to see, yeah. a, see a season changing on another planet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty neat. I think, especially during these times when things seem uh, so, uh, so challenging in our, in our own lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so let's see. Uranus is going to be three degrees North of the moon on September 7th. So that'll be a good chance to see it. Although the moon is, is just about, well, it's just past full, but it's uh only five days past full. So it's going to be uh, like a three quarters moon, but uh, could be a good opportunity to try to hunt down Uranus because Uranus is fairly bright. I think it uses around 5.7 or something like that. So um, could be an opportunity to see it there. Have you seen Uranus through, through your own telescopes yet? Well, I, many, many years ago when I had an eight inch uh, Dobsonian, I observed it a few times and was able to pull out some of that color of, of Uranus Mm. Um, it's hard to really distinguish, uh, like there's a little bit of a disc there, but it's really hard to see, you know, like you, you could mistake it for a star quite easily. Um, I've never tried it though with any of my current refractors that I have. So I'd like to try both Uranus and Neptune, uh, through my refractors to see what it looks like. Yeah. And it will be, it'll be up, uh, you know, pretty high around the minute hour or so. So you should have a good chance at that. Uh, Mars is stationary on the 9th, so uh, a few of the planets are stationary. Jupiter is stationary on the 13th, and Saturn is stationary uh, the 29th of September. And what happens is that the planets are in orbit around the Sun, and we are also in orbit around the Sun. And as we kind of catch up to these planets, because they're planets that are outside of our orbit or outside of Earth's orbit, uh, making them superior planets, um, as we go past them, they, they sort of appear to stand still against the background stars. Hmm. That's so that's interesting. Yeah. I'm I not going to get about that. <laughs> too much more of that, but if, if people are really paying close attention, they might see that. And of course, uh, when early people saw this, it, uh, especially with Mars is it's, it's quite apparent, um, created sort of the problem of the planets, which, uh, which took uh, quite a long time till, uh, Tycho Brahe made his observations and then, eventually Kepler uh, got his hands on them and, and, uh, and was able to kind of sort it out around the turn of the uh, sort of 1600 uh, timeframe. Hmm, very interesting. 
Uh, let's see. September 14th, uh, the moon and Venus are going to pair up. Venus is going to be four degrees south of the moon. Uh, the moon is just a thin sliver of a crescent that night. That'll be, I think that'll be worth getting up for. I think you should get up that morning. I'm going to, I'm going to make Shane get up and observe. <laughs> good, good luck with that. <laughs> but I, I do like a slim, like a very slim crescent moon. I, I think they're very aesthetically pleasing. Um, they're quite beautiful. And the neat thing is like, you, again, you just need your eyes for that. Um, although telescope and binoculars are pretty cool too for, for the thin crescent. Yeah, there's also a uh, double shadow uh, transit at, uh, on Jupiter, um, which I think would be around midnight our time. I should have uh, looked that more closely. But uh, Starting on the 15th, though, we have this zodiacal light oh. that's going to be visible. Uh, I, I don't know how they get it down to like a certain day. Because I, I looked up last year's and it was like the 17th or something like that. And I was like, what's the difference between last year and this year? Don't know. I guess it's because they line it up with the new moon, um, more or less. So I don't ever talked about zodiacal light. No, I don't think we have. So do you want to, do you want to explain it? Well, um, I need to look it up. So I get the it's details. Basically right. for it? interstellar right, interplanetary yes. dust really is what it is. Um, and so the solar system is uh, essentially, if we, we think about it uh, in one way anyway, like a record. Um, you have all the planets going around and then uh, in between and, and sort of floating around in that disk is also a lot of uh, dust from like comets and uh, asteroids that have uh, impacted together and uh, you know maybe some leftover pieces uh, of, of dust from the early solar system. And then that forms this disk. And so we have uh, the zodiac and, and the uh, basically the, the ecliptic, um, which is where the planets reside in. That's that disk. And it, it is sort of an imaginary line uh, that cuts across the night sky. Uh, of course, when you go out, you can't really see that line. But what you would be able to see on, on these nights starting in mid-September uh, is a kind of triangle-ish of light or kind of one way I like to think of it, it's almost like looking at Saturn's ring, but this is a ring around our whole uh, solar system. A uh, little bit hard to get your head around, but the angle of that is such that uh, it kind of points up from the, um, let's see, it's going to be in the east uh, before morning twilight um, until around October 1st. So if you're up in the morning and you can see this pillar, you need to be somewhere reasonably dark, doesn't need to be the darkest place in the world, but you can see kind of this, this sort of oddly shaped uh, pillar of light. And the great part now, and they, they don't say this in, uh, or I don't say this in my notes, but uh, because Venus is up, Venus is going to be in that pillar because, of course, Venus is in uh, the zodiac and, and the ecliptic, right? So, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a neat alignment. Yeah, that's one way to, to actually sort it out. Uh, although Venus... By that point, it's going to be so bright that <clears throat> might sort of overpower the zodiacal light. Uh, so yeah. uh, people might stand a chance of seeing it. Yeah, and, and we've seen it before. Um, so we live in a city of, uh, I don't know, it's 200 to 250,000 people. Mm. And, you know, we've seen it only driving maybe 10 kilometers or 20 kilometers outside of our city. Not super dark, um, still within a light pollution ring. Yeah, like a 15-minute drive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but we, we were able to see it a few times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no problem at all. Yeah, I think about the farm. We've sometimes gone out too and, and mm -hmm. seen it. Yeah. 
Uh, new moon is on the 17th. So I think I took the, the 18th off. I think I took the 18th and 19th off. So be, be prepared for some observing reports. <laughs> yes, yes. And whew, I can't wait. I hope we get good weather because I really am craving some dark skies. Yeah, yeah, it should be good. And then coming along uh, towards the uh, 22nd, September 22nd, um, we're going to have Mercury uh, three degrees north of Spica in the morning sky. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see if, uh, how easily visible that is. I'm not sure how, how visible that would be, but, uh, yeah, but it's happening. Mm -hmm. And then on the 24th, we have the uh, first quarter moon um, coming up. So that will sort of close the, the observing window for September and unfortunately probably close off the, the relatively warm uh, weather observing window as well, uh, unfortunately. So, yeah, I've heard it can. I've heard it can get cold in October. I don't know if you've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you're referring to uh, referring to the time where we went down to Grasslands, drove the the three plus hours to get there. End of October. It's like. It was warm that day. So look, like you can't fault 20, me. Plus 20, it was yeah. 20, 20 degrees <laughs> Celsius. Unfortunately, that night it went to minus 20 degrees Celsius. And we, we drove home by the time it hit minus five or whatever it was. Um, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I've never seen it quite go that cold from being like 20, 20. Like if it's in Nova Scotia, if it's 20 degrees above, you're not going to minus 20. I, I, I doubt that ever happened there. It just physically it'd be impossible not so much out here it was supposed to get cool that night i was prepared for minus two but by the time sunset i think it was minus four or something and i was starting to get cold already and uh you know the idea of staying there for 12 more hours and when it, when i checked later it, it had gone down i think it went down to i think it went down somewhere like minus 12 but then it, it was windy it was quite windy and it was mm -hmm. minus 20 with the wind chill so yeah, yeah, it would have been miserable. Yeah, that would be, you know, the one thing to point out is like when we're going out, we're camping like that. If like we have excellent gear, like gear that is specced for doing that. Um, however, uh, if we're out doing astronomy, we're going to, we're going to get too cold and the gear is just not going to quite suffice. I don't think it's, we're just going to get too cold. Um, and not, not really be able to warm up in, in the tents. If you were just going out, because I've certainly gone camping in cold weather before, but you're kind of moving and the trick is you kind of, you eat and then get ready for bed and then you go to bed and you're, you're reasonably warm. Uh, even if it's really cold and you get in the tent and you kind of warm up a bit and go to sleep, and whatever, it's fine. But when we're going out and we're staying up until two or three o'clock in the morning, and, and I did that once where it was like minus five or minus six. And then uh, that was just too cold um, for me anyway, because I just could never warm, warm up. I was frozen and then uh, not moving around. Yeah, it was, it was bad. So, yeah, it, it becomes a little bit challenging when you observe in a cold location. And, and usually what ends the observing is you just get too cold. You know, you're, you're, you're uncomfortable, you're done. Well, when the only option is to get into a tent with a cold sleeping bag, it's just not a, a wonderful proposition. No, 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 not good. That night, yeah, because we debated whether we'd drive home or just go to bed and try to, you know, 
stay warm. I mean, you know, that's not, those aren't good options. (laughs) So anyway, hopefully, you know, September, September can be good. Typically it's not that cold. I mean, we've been down as late as the end of September. It's never gotten cold, that cold in September. And we're good into, you know, I'm good to minus five or so. Um, But, you know, if it's minus five by sunset, uh, I'm in trouble. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. But you know what we know now? We know that we can drive back from there in an evening if we have to. Yeah, yeah, we proved that. All right. So the 24th, we have the first quarter moon. And then on the 25th, that moon is going to line up with Jupiter and Saturn. Jupiter is just going to be 1.6 degrees north of the moon. And then Saturn on the same night, just a short while later, is going to be just about two degrees north of the moon. Now, it might be a little a little greater. That's sort of the minimum distance, depending on where people are. It might be a little bit more than that. But regardless, uh, you find the moon, you put binoculars on it, you're going to see Jupiter, Saturn, and the moon. They're all going to be within a binocular field on that night. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about Mars and, and we're excited for it, but probably September will be the last month to have, you know, good views of Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, after, after September, they're probably getting a little too low on the horizon to really get anything, to really have any kind of good quality view. So um, yeah, log a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to log a few more views of Jupiter and Saturn before they kind of disappear for the year. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good plan. Um, and that's, that's sort of, those are sort of the highlights of the uh, sort of, what's up in the nighttime sky as far as you know the planets and the moon and and a few other things go but uh what do you uh if we do go down into dark skies uh the middle of the month what uh, what are you going to be looking forward to seeing shane well i think i'll I'll do a combination of two things um and and they both have the same theme um i i i'll take my uh teleview genesis sdf refractor um, okay and I want to continue observing the objects that Steve and James O'Meara listed in, uh, what is it? Deep Sky Gems, I think it is. Okay. Um, I think he, ah, gee, there's, I think there's around a hundred objects in that book. All of them he observed from his, I think all of them were observed from his Hawaiian location using the exact same telescope. Well, actually, I think it's the model just before mine, the the non-SDF version, but it doesn't really matter. It's for all intents and purposes, it's the same telescope. Um, so I'd like to observe some of those objects that he's listed and then just compare observation notes, um, to see, um, see how close I got to what he's able to see, because he's probably one of the best visual observers around. He he seems, uh, he's not only does he have really good skies, but he's just a really good observer. So I'd like to see what I can come up with. So anyway, you know, start the evening with, um, probably some fall objects um, and then, like I said earlier, what intrigues me about September is you can kind of do winter observing if you stay up late. Yeah, uh, you'll see the winter constellations, but it'll be much more comfortable. So again, look at uh, some winter objects that are in uh, Omira's book. Hmm, sounds like a good plan. Yeah, how about you? What what would you be uh, checking out? Yeah, so sort of a, a story of two seasons. I, I think I might. Uh, you know, skip the fall. Um, but the summer sky is still nice and high. I think it's probably dark around eight or getting yeah. pretty, pretty dark around eight. So probably what I would do is plan to do the summer sky from 
you know, probably about eight until uh, 1030 or, or 11. And, uh, and, you know, look at Milky Way objects. Like I really like looking at the area in and around Sagittarius, like uh, mm-hmm. the Lagoon Nebula or M8 region is, is really beautiful, which is a star forming region in Sagittarius. Um, and then the M2021 region, which is next door. And then there's some nice star clouds like the Sagittarius star cloud and, and the Scutum star cloud. Um, and I'll have my, hopefully have my tracking mount and, and have, have it all, all the bugs worked out by then and maybe a power pack and that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, it'd be really nice just to be able to uh, put it on, uh, you know, some of those objects and this, then just have a track, maybe, maybe do some, some sketching. Um, and then, oh, I want to really take a look at the North American Nebula. Uh, an indi- individual in my class sent me this beautiful uh, photograph. He's just learning to do uh, astroimaging. And uh, he sent me a bunch of astrophotos. Uh, and they were all really good. Um, but this one I, I thought was, was rather uh, remarkable, like a very, very good image, um, especially considering that, that I think he's only been doing it for, for a couple of years or so. Um, and I thought I, I wouldn't mind doing an observation of it and then doing a sketch and kind of seeing what I could pull out um, with a sketch and then kind of maybe writing a journal article about, uh, about the North American Nebula and putting his photo and my sketch together. I thought that would be kind of kind of a neat thing. I kind of like to do that, um, you know, kind of give the perspective of of what you can do with imaging and then what you can do uh, with visual and kind of some of the nuances there and maybe maybe go back and forth with him a bit and, and uh, get sort of his input on that. I thought it might be an interesting way to to include. A, uh, he's not a new observer, but uh, but a sort of different perspective probably is the way to put it. So hmm. yeah, that's, that's one of my things. And then probably <laughs> I'll probably go to bed at uh, around 11 and uh, yes, here we go. Then, here we go. <laughs> and then I'll probably sleep for four hours and then and, or maybe three hours and then get up. I'll, whatever my sleep cycle is, I forget. I asked Google and it will tell me three and a half or three hours and 40 minutes or something. And then uh, after a sleep cycle, I'll get up and observe uh, the winter sky. Hmm. Take a look at uh, the Orion Nebula. And, yes. Uh, you know, I've never, I haven't sketched the Orion through a larger, I've done it through my 60 millimeters so far, but I'd, I'd like to do one through through the 100 and, you know, I'd like to sort of have it tracking and do it. And then I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, taking a good look at like Barnard's Loop or, uh, I think it's Sharpless 2-64, which is the uh, angelfish uh, nebula up around Lambda Orionis, which is the head of Orion. Um, you know, maybe like the Pleiades, like to maybe do a sketch of that. Um, you know, just some some things like that, and then just kind of take a bit of a, a cruise around. Yeah, maybe I'll take a look at the California nebula up in Perseus. Um, just been a while since sort of been out under the, under the dark sky, and uh, yeah. Yeah, night night one, my plan might get derailed and I might end up just looking at a lot of pretty objects that I've seen before just because yeah. it's been so long since I've been under a nice dark sky. Um, it'll be kind of neat too. Like if we both are running 100 millimeter telescopes with two different focal lengths, uh, it might be kind of neat to compare some of the views as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're going to have yours, which is uh, 101 millimeters. 101 millimeter aperture, 540 yeah. millimeter focal length. Yeah, so mine's mine's just slightly smaller and slightly longer at 100 millimeters and 
and uh, 740 millimeter focal length, so an f7.4. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, that that'd be good. Um, yeah, I'd be curious just just to see uh, what some things look like through that. Um, in particular, like uh, and although this is an autumn object, be nice to to take a look at something like the helix, which is a uh, the helix nebula, which is a planetary nebula, which is a star that. Uh, was similar to our sun that, that lived out its life and then expired and gave off its gas into space in this giant sort of almost looks like an eye looking back um, and it's like a very large circular uh, nebula so that, that would be a, a nice one to kind of go back and forth and uh, and do some comparison with mm -hmm. yeah for sure for sure yeah we definitely look forward to that so yeah that'd be that'd be nice for sure yeah. To dream hopefully uh hopefully the weather doesn't turn I and mean, we've had so many nice days like it kind of feels like you know we're living on borrowed time in a way because i think i put a, i put a sweater on this morning to go for for a walk i walk virtually every morning and today was the first day i had to wear a sweater this summer and often we do get cooler mornings we've had some cooler mornings like when i've been out observing um but they haven't really been uh, chilly or cold or anything like that. And today was sort of our first uh, day where it was it was cool enough that you really had to wear uh, a sweater or a light light jacket to uh, to go out. And I and I see that tomorrow morning it's supposed to be like just four degrees Celsius. So that's like to me that's uh, two weather. So <laughs> yeah, it's getting chilly. And you know, last year we had the the monsoon rains in the fall that just yeah. seem to end. So hopefully that doesn't happen again, but you just never know. Well, yeah. And I mean, I, I, every year, I think, you know, the first two years we lived here, it, it was beautiful right up until December and then the snows came and then, uh, you know, we had like, you know, three and a half months of snow and winter weather, like you would expect living out here. And then sun came out and melted all away. It was gone by the third or fourth week of, of March, no, no big deal. And I thought, I don't know what people are complaining about so much. And then there was one year where it didn't, it didn't snow on the first of September here, but it did snow in places around here. Um, and certainly it can like, oh, yeah. yep. can, can get snow here as early as the first week of, of September. Not warmed up after that, but that was a little bit of an eye opener. Uh, when we had that weather that was particularly unkind and then we've certainly had years since now where you know it snows on on or about the first of october and you never see your lawn again until uh until sometime well into april so mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> so there's that <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for so sure. yeah um i have a little bit of a comet update for september as well oh yeah well it's not exciting don't don't oh. don't get out of your chair it's you don't have bad. like another neowise i us. don't no no so neowise is still visible but you know dimming more and more every day um and a new comet well it's not new it's a periodic i think it comes by every five years or five and a half years it's 88p howell Okay. And it will probably take over as the brightest comet in the sky. So Neowise has been the brightest since it, you know, really perked up in July. Uh, but Howell will take over. Um, however, it probably will still be around like nine or tenth magnitude. Um, so definitely requiring a telescope and probably not much to see other than a small fuzzy, you know, 
kind of object, I guess. Um, there's a couple other that are in that similar magnitude range. There's 2P Enneke. Uh, there's Inc. Uh, Inc. Is that a, okay? Uh, there's C 2017 T2 Pan Stars, and then C 2019 U6 Lemon. Um, they'll all be around ninth or tenth magnitude at the Could start. Be inky. Uh, Could be Anki. It's either Ank or Anki. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. And in fact, those are actually. The, the, those three that I just listed are actually probably not that bright anymore. That was at the beginning of August. They were that bright and then fading mm. through the month. But um, anyway, Howell will be the brightest comet up there. If anybody's interested in looking at a comet. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, anything else to, to add or, or to look forward to? No, that's all. That's all that I have on my list as we get closer to the new moon. And if the weather's looking good, I'll get a little more serious about planning my observing sessions for grasslands. But uh, until then, it'll just be a lot of backyard observing, uh, continuing to look at Jupiter uh, and Saturn and, and, you know, more and more Mars as it uh, rises earlier and earlier every night. Yeah, I wonder if we should do like a Mars episode at some yeah. point. Maybe, yeah, I like that. Yeah, maybe we should think about doing that. Uh, maybe uh, towards the end of September would be good. Yeah. All right. Good, good idea. All right. Well, thanks so much, Shane. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. And thank you everybody for supporting the podcast. And how can people uh, get in touch with us or stay in touch with us? You've got like Twitter and some email addresses, I think. Yeah. So Twitter where we are actual astronomy. Uh, we are on YouTube, so you can leave comments there and we'll definitely reply. And then also email us at, uh, we are actual at gmail.com. Great. Thanks, Shane. Thank you, Chris.